Good morning, everybody. Howdy. My name's Noah Jensen. Um, I am neither staff nor student. I am something else entirely. <laughs> I am a ghost of Kirksville's past. I'm the boy who never left. Uh, yeah, good morning. Welcome, everyone. I'm so glad to see you all here. If you've been with us uh, in the past few months, weeks, uh, we've been going through a sermon series on the crucifixion. Um, and so that's what this is supposed to be, and that is what I told Derek it was going to be, but that's not what it's going to be. <laughs> um, I don't have any pictures of my family to show, uh, so if you want to see a picture of my family, just look in the back row there at my wife. She's the pretty one, not Keevan, the one pointing, <laughs> Keevan's pointing at. Uh, yeah, that's her. That's Sarah Don Jensen. Uh, she is the light of my life. Um, yeah, aw, aw. <laughs> anyway. My sister is also my family. She is also pretty. She is also the light of my life. <laughs> that's Ellie. Um, yeah, she's great. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm not one to just follow up a scripture reading with another scripture reading, but sometimes it's just what you got to do, so... Uh, yeah, this is from Matthew 19. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go. Sell all that you possess, and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in a new world, when a son of man is sitting on the glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Yeah, so I've got to be honest. I've never really liked this story. <gasps> Is he allowed to say that? It's the Bible. Yeah, it's the Bible. And there are things I don't like about it. There, I said it. I don't like it because it makes me feel things. Which, if you know me at all, feeling things is something I have no problem doing on my own. Thank you very much. 
But in all seriousness, does anyone like love this story? Like really, is this like their favorite? Anyone like be proud if it is. That's what I thought. <laughs> like you know when you go to church, <laughs> you know when you go to church, you know your home church or you're like just visiting, you know, <laughs> and you come in and things are feeling pretty good. The communion plates are out, so you get to look forward to a little snacky, which is which is great because you definitely skipped breakfast, even though you went to the late service and you had plenty of time. You know, and then you go to worship and it just hits so good. They only sing the chorus to that one hymn six times in a row instead of eight. <laughs> I am a friend of God is not part of the worship set. Things are looking pretty good. They're looking pretty optimistic. And you all stand for the reading of God's word, you know, and the preacher says, open your Bibles to Matthew 19 or swipe to Matthew 19. They always say that part with a little smile, like touchscreens weren't invented like a thousand years ago. Seriously, unless you're Reed Dent and you have your entire family's genealogy in a hundred-year-old Bible, does anyone even own a paper Bible anymore? I, I know you own paper Bibles. It, it was a bit. Anyway. Um, <laughs> anyway. So he says, you know, turn or swipe to Matthew 19, and you just start, you start swiping furiously, right? Because he's already reading at this point. Because they never give you enough time to get there. See, I used to think that when they say turn to such and such page, that's when they wanted you to turn to such and such page. But actually, that's just the pistol that fires off so that they can race as fast as they can to finish the passage and sit everybody down faster than you can say thanks be to God. <laughs> anyway, preacher's halfway through the chapter. <laughs> You've somehow managed to swipe all the way to the book of Revelations without finding the book of Matthew because you were trying to be a good listener while also trying to be a good swiper. You're running out of time. The pressure is on. The passage is almost over. So what do you do? You stick your phone back in your pocket, which is great because now everybody just thinks you were texting in church. <laughs> and you try to explain it was the Bible app, which, of course, no one believes. I mean, are you kidding me? Haven't you heard? Nobody uses the Bible app anymore. It's all paper Bibles now. <laughs> Way of the future. <laughs> all that said, amidst all the chaos, you still manage to listen and pick out a number of phrases that always jump out to folks when reading or hearing this passage. For instance, and Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Or you might have picked out this one. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And who can forget, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. You starting to see why I say I don't like the Bible? <laughs> or at least this story in particular? This one just has a way of like getting under my skin and sticking in my brain and gives me very little wiggle room. Despite my long-winded introduction, my first and honest reactions to this passage when someone is preparing to preach to me is this. Great. Now this guy's going to make me feel bad about all the stuff I have and all the stuff I want. And then he's going to tell me to be a real Christian. I have to get rid of all my stuff and be a hobo. Does anyone else feel that way about this passage? They get that kind of feeling? Yeah. Well, don't worry. I'm not going to tell you to get rid of all your stuff. I bet you have to be a hobo. But I am going to make you feel bad. <laughs> Not too bad, just, just a little bit, I promise. So for a while now, I've been wanting to talk about money. It's an aspect of life that we all think about on a regular basis, and yet it feels just so strange to bring it up. 
there's like some sort of embarrassment surrounding it for some reason. Like we're embarrassed about worrying about it or about not having enough or how to get more of it or whatever it is. We quite regularly have money on our minds, but not on our tongues. It's just something we really prefer not to talk about, even though more likely than not, it occupies a great deal of our headspace. Should I buy that shirt? Should I go out to eat? How am I gonna pay for school? I hope I get a good paying job after college. Did I already pay rent or was that utilities? Oh look, buy one, get one free. I don't even like this brand, but I'd hate to lose money on this. Suffice to say, it's one of those things we always think about, but avoid talking about at all costs. Pun intended. So I feel burdened to address the piggy bank in the room. So without further ado, this is a ridiculous introduction to a serious sermon or money can buy you happiness or the gospel of financial freedom or who told you that you were naked or a sermon about crucifixion but actually about money. <laughs> I must say I think if I'm being honest the real reason that I struggle with our passage from Matthew 19 is because I find myself admiring <laughs> the rich young man more than I'd like to admit. He's young, he's energetic, he's eager, he's not afraid to speak in front of people, he keeps the commandments, he wants to follow Christ, and he's wealthy. This guy is the total package. He is the bee's knees. He is the actual cat's pajamas, if you will. <laughs> or at least, right, it seems that way. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm really tempted to believe that as well. Surely this man, his faith and his resources, would be a tremendous asset to Jesus and his mission. Surely this man would be welcomed and invited to follow him. And while he is invited to follow Jesus, it is hardly in the way we expect. Jesus says to him, go, sell everything you own, and follow me. And the young man leaves, discouraged and disheartened. It dawns on me now that there's another reason that I may not be the biggest fan of this particular passage. It does not have like a happy ending, at least not in like the traditional narrative sense. Rather than a triumphant, joyful redemption, we're just left with this at best kind of somber warning. It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And this is a very popular line of dialogue from Jesus, one I'm sure you've probably all heard many times. And if you have heard it before, you've probably heard it in its most um, popular um, interpretation. The interpretation that Jesus is using hyperbole. An extreme exaggeration to show how a rich person entering the kingdom of heaven is more ridiculous of a notion than fitting a camel, yes, the animal, through the eye of a needle, yes, the sewing instrument. There is, however, another interpretation that I enjoy a little more personally. The historical legitimacy of this interpretation is debated by experts but I think it gleans a bit of insight and context to the meaning of Jesus' words. There was said to be a small gate on the outside wall of Jerusalem, and this small gate was supposedly known as the Eye of a Needle Gate. And this gate's particular dimensions were said to be just large enough, but just enough, to allow a camel to pass through. This was, of course, dependent on two conditions. The first being that the camel was kind of stooped, hunched, kind of crawling, dipping through. And the other, and this is where it get inter gets interesting, was that in order to fit through the gate, through the eye of a needle, 
The camel first needed to be stripped of its saddle and all of its cargo and its baggage. Sound familiar? The owner of this camel, if they wished to enter the gate, first needed to remove every single one of their possessions in order for the camel to fit. Does this not sound exactly like the thing Jesus just asked of the rich young man? One point of contention that scholars have with this interpretation is the simple logic of why would anyone in their right mind use this gate <laughs> that required them to do all of this? especially when there were so many other gates that would allow passage into the city that did not require such lengths. Let us consider, however, that we can't know for sure, but let us consider that this very argument is also a part of Jesus' point. No person in their right mind would choose to remove all of their possessions from their camel just to fit through that small gate. There are many other gates to choose from, and none are so tedious or costly. But perhaps Jesus is not saying that it is impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, but rather he is saying that it will be particularly difficult for a rich person to choose to enter through the costly, inconvenient little gate of Jerusalem. The same way a rich young man may have difficulty choosing to sell all his possessions to follow the Christ. Ergo, you have heard it said, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. So where did the rich man go wrong? What was he believing in? Perhaps he viewed his possessions too innocently, not realizing the grasp they held on him until it was put to the test. But then, who are we to judge? Are we any different, I wonder? They say money can't buy you happiness, but I'm not sure that sentiment has ever stopped us from coveting it all the same. And if anything, I find that the world has only ever reinforced the opposite to be true. Money can buy you happiness. If you don't believe me, here's an example. So there's this really old movie back in the day. It came out in 1977. It was called Star Wars, I think. I don't know, I've never seen it. Anyway, in Star Wars, there are these things called lightsabers, right? Essentially, it's like, it's like a laser sword or something. Um, now, of course, the real money of this little film came from the marketing, right? From the merchandise, from the toys. So does, anyone, so does anyone remember the old, like, big plastic lightsabers? Yeah, anyone? Show of hands? Yeah, be proud. There you go. Pretty much everybody. Yeah, you remember the thick plastic handle, the telescoping, <laughs> bright colored blade? Yeah, boys, yeah? You remember these. Girls, these would have been the things, that the, the bright colored sticks your brothers hit you over the head with all the time. <laughs> that's, how, that's probably how you remember it. Anyway, these, so these little la plastic lightsabers, they were all great fun, pretty cheap. You can find them for like 10 to 20 bucks at any toy section in like a Walmart or Target. Uh, but the point is, pre you know, pretty cheap. Um, now, let me show you the same idea <laughs> when you introduce a little more moolah <laughs> into the equation. Max, if you would hit the lights for me. custom replica 
of Luke Skywalker's lightsaber from Return of the Jedi. Or at least I'm told. I've never seen it. <laughs> and here's a little demonstration of what it is capable of. It is a far sight greater than those little plastic lightsabers that we saw when we were kids. Imagine hitting your sister over the head with this. There's a lot more crazy stuff that it can do. Max, you can set that aside down there. Pretty cool, right? Maybe I'll have to give these Star Wars movies a try. Yeah, not a, not a fan. I purchased that for sermon reasons, strictly. If you're curious how much it cost me, then come to sermon discussion. <laughs> Thursday, 9.30, free plug. So while I couldn't drive a Lamborghini into Violet Hall 1000, I figured this is the next best thing. Point is, money, as it turns out, can, as you saw, <laughs> buy you happiness. And that is precisely the problem. You can buy all the happiness in the world with it. It can fix a host of different issues and problems. It can eliminate fears and worries, provide safety and security for yourself and for those around you. Yes, it would seem that the greatest danger that money poses is not that it cannot buy you happiness, but that it very much can. The more happiness we buy, the less we begin to desire anything else. And when we have everything, we begin to desire nothing. If we always feel safe and secure, then what need do we have for relationships? If all of our needs and wants are met, then what good is prayer to us? Who does God become when we convince ourselves we no longer need him? This mindset and trend isn't unique to Jesus' time and era. In fact, these days it seems all the more present and potent. The gospel of financial freedom is alive and well. It is blowing up in popularity. Its preachers are Bitcoin and NFTs and Roth IRA accounts. Its churches are TikTok and Facebook and Instagram, all sending the same message, preaching the same gospel, that there is money to be made, and if you are not the one making it, then you are behind. A slave to the machine, afraid to break out and seize all that freedom that everyone else on social media has seemingly seized for themselves. It can be hard to avoid these preachers, hard to, afford, hard to avoid being belittled by their jargon and lingo, you know, that feeling of inadequacy and foolishness for not making something of yourself. I think many of us know it well. We all endure it in our own ways. Or alternatively, we get swept up into the rat race, believing it is all on us to come out more rich and free than when we first entered. I brushed shoulders with this gospel of financial freedom in an unexpected way recently, a moment that both stirs and breaks my heart. So I was speaking to my mom on the phone the other day, and she mentioned offhand, I need to get a side hustle. And she said it with a heavy sigh and a tinge of sadness, not the statement of someone who has found a new passion project that they couldn't wait to work on 
but rather a dead, hollow assertion that there was money to be made, and for whatever reason, she should be making it. This language felt so out of character from my mom, as she has always and forever only been fully fulfilled in doing one thing in her life, and that is, of course, being a mom. Evident in the fact that even though most of her kids are out of the house at this point, at any given moment when she's not on the phone with me, she's on the phone with one of my siblings. And my mother calls me every day. No one ever told her it didn't have to be a full-time gig, but she wouldn't have it any other way. She knows no other way to love, and it brings her great joy. So to hear my mother speak the phrase, I need to get a side hustle, felt strange and alien to me, yet it remained all too familiar. It was the same language you hear on TikToks and Facebook ads and Instagram stories, language of the gospel of money, the gospel of financial freedom, selling a heartbreaking idea that my mother was beginning to believe, the idea that she was not doing enough. This amazing woman, a woman who had given me everything, who raised me and my siblings on her own with love and with patience after a painful divorce, a woman who continued to raise us and our new little brother, all the while being a faithful and loving wife to our stepfather, a woman who gave her time and energy to our home church, working in such a faithful manner that she became indisposable. A selfless, remarkable woman. And a 10-second TikTok was able to convince her that she was simply more that she could be doing. More money that she could be making. You are not enough, the serpent whispered. Maybe you're right, she replied. My heart broke realizing that the very same false hope that I struggled to drown out every day was eating away at my own mom, even if only a little. It reminded me of the scripture in Genesis. After Adam and Eve have taken and eaten of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, they become aware that they are naked and hide when they hear their creator approaching. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid, himself, hid themselves in the presence from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? As a younger man, I was always tempted to hear this question in God's righteous, booming, angry voice. But now, when I read it, all I hear is heartbreak. That sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach that some irreparable damage has been done. On a much smaller scale, I think I felt that for my mother. The idea that she needed to be making more money to be worthwhile is terrible. And I hate it. She had only ever needed to be my mother before, and that was enough. So at this point, you're probably under the impression that I'm trying to say that making a lot of money is inherently bad, or that saving and investing is, a, is immoral. Am I trying to say that money is evil? No. 
But surely you have heard it said, the love of money is the root of all evil. Or even money is the root of all evil. The reason for this, I believe, is this. As shown in the example of my mother, money and what it represents impresses on us the idea that there is a need for more. Some supplementary thing that is missing in our inherent being. Something that if only acquired, then we will be complete, lacking nothing, not left behind or left out in any way. Sound familiar? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the forbidden fruit in the garden, when Adam and Eve desired the one thing they could not have, when they believed they would not be complete without it. So you see the root of all evil is not money. The root of all evil is this, the simple belief that we need anything outside of God and ourselves. The idea that we are incomplete without something we don't already have. Money is merely the vehicle through which we acquire such things. Ergo, you have heard it said, money is the root of all evil. I wish I would have said something to my mother in that moment, something far better and more encouraging than the mm-hmm I'm sure she received from me. And while I cannot curse TikTok the way God cursed the serpent and force it to crawl and slither on its belly for all eternity, though I would very much like to, what I would have preferred to have done instead is this. I would simply encourage her in this truth that I will leave with you. Close your eyes, let this sink in. The message of the gospel of money will always tell you that you haven't done enough, that there is more you could be doing and more you should be doing, that you are not enough. But the truth of the cross is this, you were always enough for God. Before you even existed, he was ready to die for you. The mere concept of you was worth dying for. If that is true, then what does that say about your worth now? Could there be anything more precious, more valuable? When questioning Jesus, the rich young man from our passage in Matthew did indeed ask the correct question. What do I still lack, he asked. And the answer? Perhaps it is the same as the answer, what does a camel need to enter through the eye of a needle? The same thing that you need in order to be worthy of God's love. Nothing. The rich man lacked nothing and nothing was exactly what he needed. And it's exactly what we need, what we will need on the promised day, and exactly what we will take with us. God is not after our wealth or our riches or our accomplishments, but after simply us and ourselves, fully realized in the truth that we have already been paid for in full. That is what the freedom of the cross is. Freedom from the toil and labor of having to do more, make more, accomplish more, acquire more, 
or be more. All we must do is simply accept a most difficult truth, that we are enough. Through the cross, we are enough. See, in the end, the cross may cost you everything, but the paradox of it is this. The cross has already given you everything. And it may bankrupt you, but the life that God offers is rich and full. Let's pray. God, we are not worthy. We are not worthy of such a priceless gift. But we are left to just deal with the fact that you gave it freely. Lord, let us deal every day with the consequences that we have been bought and paid for. that no price can be put on us, that our worth is not in the things we do or the money we make, but it's simply in who you are and what you have done. God, we are not worthy. Jesus' name.